according to his promise. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Once again, our growth comes through the scriptures. Our growth always comes through the scriptures. Join me in your Bibles, if you would, in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, we're looking at this uh, spectacular passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on, all, on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And uh, the verses that follow then, really, you could take 5 through 12 or 6 through 12. You could take this portion of, of chapter 3 and view it as an outline for the Christian way of life. View it as an outline for the, the daily life of a believer uh, walking with the Lord. And uh, I find it very fruitful and edifying, and we've been very blessed to uh, tear it apart. We're about halfway through it now, getting the detail of each line and each item, and I want to get back to that here this morning. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, ask God the Father to set aside distractions, ask for His blessing upon our time in His Word today. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Father, for the blessing that it is to walk in the light, to keep our eyes fixed on you. Father, we thank you for your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he is the author and perfecter of faith. Father, I thank you that on this day that uh, we have the blessing to assemble together, that the word of God is going forth. We ask for your hand of protection. Hedge us about. Hinder anyone that would want to come in here and bring us to harm or stop what we're doing. Father, uh, allow for your word to go forth to feed and nourish your children. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, we are dealing with the long-term benefits of a life spent in the word of God. That's main point one in the outline. Main point two, every believer can expect three additions. Every believer can expect three additions to their human experience when they are abiding in the word of God. When it comes right down to it, who wouldn't want this? (laughs) Who wouldn't want the three additions to life? And uh, it's only the carnal mindedness that's so wrapped up in self and so wrapped up in, in what they're doing that they lose sight of what God provides, length of days, years of life and peace. You know, if you're in your right mind, if you're looking to the Lord, if you're in the word of God, then you look at those things and go, well, yeah, <laughs> of course, who doesn't want that? And uh, the process there, abiding in the word equals fellowship. Abiding in the word of God equals fellowship with the Lord in kindness and in truth. Remember, Jesus is the word. And so when we talk about the written word or we talk about the living word, when we talk about abiding in the word of God, and when we talk about fellowship with Jesus Christ, we are actually speaking of the very same thing. All right. We're thinking the very same thing. If you're fellowshipping with Jesus Christ, you are abiding in his word. If you're abiding in his word, you are fellowshipping with Jesus Christ. This is how it works. If you keep your mind dwelling on the things above, keep your mind dwelling on the things of Scripture. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So in, in the course of your day, as you're walking or driving or sweeping or whatever you're doing and, and uh, going about your business, uh, is, is Scripture on your heart? Or is it the furthest thing from your mind? All right, that's the difference. And if the scripture is on your heart, if you're thinking about the things of the Lord, and maybe you're not reciting verses, but at least you're dwelling on concepts, you're thinking about doctrines or principles or promises, maybe um, 
maybe you pick an, an essence of the uh, of God on a daily basis or an attribute. Say today's righteousness or tomorrow's holiness or the next day is love or the next day is omnipotence or whatever. Just pick an attribute and spend your day chewing on it, thinking about it, dwelling on it, wondering about it, thanking him for it, talking to him about it as far as that goes. And that's where abiding in the word of God equals fellowship with the Lord in kindness and in truth. Point four, we should keep the word of God immediately at hand and treasured in our hearts. We want to have it at easy access, easy reach. And uh, the best place to have it, obviously, is memorized, having it treasured within your heart. Then point five, where we presently are today, Solomon's exhortation to walk by faith contains a summary description for the Christian way of life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All right, that never stops. That never stops. That means today I trust Jesus Christ. I trust him today because I trusted him yesterday. I I trusted him the day before. I'm going to trust him tomorrow. If a day comes that I stop trusting him, then I've stopped walking by faith and I've returned to walking by sight. Now I'm back in a, in a carnal mindset. Now I'm back in a worldly viewpoint and I'm looking around with my earthly eyes because I stopped trusting in the Lord. So I got to get back to trusting in the Lord again. This is what it means when it says we walk by faith, not by sight. So trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. If, uh, if you want to go through life based on how smart you are, or if you think you got it all figured out, and aren't you just the clever one, I, I encourage you at some point, read, uh, your, your example is in the Bible is Jacob, all right? Read Jacob. Jacob was the supplanter. He was the trickster. He was the one that even from his birth, he came out of the womb grabbing onto his brother's heel, and, and he never stopped. Never, his whole life was about tripping up other people and, and, and wheeling and dealing and bargaining and trying to, trying to figure out every angle, trying to figure out everything, and you think you got it all going on. All right, just quit that. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And these were the first couple of principles that we saw. Trust is a wholehearted endeavor. You can't have it both ways. You can't have a little bit of trust and a little bit of of clever. All right, if you have a little bit of trust and a little bit of clever, then you got too much clever and not really any kind of trust at all. It's got to be wholehearted with all your heart, not a half-hearted trust, not a, not a, uh, a uh, well, half-hearted, okay? That's probably the best way to say it. We had other terms in the army, but I won't share those with you this morning. Half-hearted is, is fine, okay? It edifies and it communicates. But that's how he expects us to, to serve him, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to trust him as a, as a wholehearted endeavor, Human understanding cannot be trusted. It cannot even be leaned on into self-delusional and altogether wicked. And we're going to see this. The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, We see the idea of trusting in your own human understanding. It will let you down. All right? It will let you down. Maybe not today. It may take a while because you may think that you're doing okay. And before you know it, actually, you, you left the rails a long time ago. You've been off the track for some time now. It just... uh you were able to keep the damage to a minimum and it didn't hurt quite as bad early on and so you convinced yourself you were doing okay until it started to hurt more and more and more and then you realize, wait a minute, my own understanding is, is uh, the biggest part of the problem here in this, in this formula. All right? So it's uh, in your heart, in your ways, 
In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. The divine acknowledgement is not limited to the really important decisions. We want to acknowledge Him in everything, at all times, for every circumstance, in every facet of our life. There is no component of living that we want to ignore Him on and just handle it ourselves. And that's, this is huge because I can't tell you how many Christians only go to God for the big stuff. And they just say, well, you know, we'll handle the little stuff, okay? Here's the secret. It's all little stuff, okay? Or it's all big stuff, however you want to handle it. It's all big stuff. Take it to Him. Make sure that you are not failing to acknowledge Him, okay? And then we talked about this. I illustrated last week and got a little silly with it. Maybe we'll get a little bit silly again today, as long as we make the point, all right? Because the Bible does it again and again and again and again. And we want to make sure that we know what does it mean to acknowledge Him? Uh, You know, it it doesn't say, uh, you know, be stupid about it. It doesn't say ask Him about dumb stuff that you ought to just do yourself. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him. I think that's the distinction, okay? So in all your ways, acknowledge Him. And this is really, I think, as you know where the, the New Testament equivalent is of this? Where's the New Testament equivalent of this? How about rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks? Those are broad, sweeping expressions that are universal, that are absolute. In everything give thanks. Uh, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Now, if I'm not careful, I can abuse that pray without ceasing and uh, carry it out to a ludicrous extent. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. I can carry that out to a ludicrous extent. And the Bible would not have me do that. The Lord would not have me do that. And I think we're, we're, we should be clear on that. And if not, then uh, you know we can have a conversation later and so forth. But this is not designed to be a, uh, any kind of mechanical legalism. All right? You know what I mean by that? Mechanical legalism, meaning uh, I'm, I put myself under a mechanical process, and as long as I follow the steps, then I'm in the will of God. As long as I follow these steps, well, then, then you know, and some people take First John 1 9 like that, as in terms of mechanical legalism. Well, I, I said the words, I voiced the words, I, I admitted my sin, I have to be in fellowship now. Well, where was your heart when you said those words? Are, do you, are you in agreement with God in your thinking? Or are you just mouthing words under some kind of a mechanical legalism process whereby you can now say, well, I'm in fellowship now because I said the words. Wait a minute. So in all your ways, acknowledge him. You cannot take this as a mechanical legalism process and, uh, and, and start, and start uh, checking in with him at every single step of the way. You know, hey, I put on a blue shirt this morning. Did I pray about that first? Did I, uh, did I stand there in my closet and, and, and wrestle with the angel until he gave me an answer and said, uh, you know, is it the, the blue shirt, or the red shirt, the green shirt? Which, which shirt do I wear? Okay. And then, you know, do I do that with my pants and underwear and socks and shoes? I mean, where, where do you stop? The point is, in all your ways, acknowledge him and think, think broader, think larger. All right. So, uh, if there is a component of your life, for example, should you acknowledge God in your, uh, in your church membership? Should, should, should God be a part of the process as you identify the body of Christ that you have been assigned to? All right? You're the, the, the church home that you're a part of. Um, or uh, you, in your marriage, do you acknowledge God in your marriage? Do you acknowledge God in, your, in the, the, the raising of your children? Do you acknowledge God in your career? Do you acknowledge God in the workplace? 
Is there a phase of your life where you don't acknowledge God? And that then is where the problem creeps in. Where's the, where is the phase of your life where he is not acknowledged? But if in all your ways you are acknowledging him, if, if uh, consideration of God's character, consideration of God's will, consideration of God's uh, nature, of the word of God in every facet of life, then you're good to go. You're absolutely good to go. You know, I think, um, there, you know, if, if, am I going to find this real quick? Where's the passage where um, they're coming to, well, you know the passage, uh, a tax collector comes and says, well, what should I do? And a soldier comes and says, well, what should I do? And, and these various people are coming, right? Was it to the Lord or to John the Baptist? This is off the top of my head, so I probably should have found a safer illustration. What's that? Talking about John the Baptist. And he gave them, he said, here's what you should do. And he gives them a practical outworking, all right? He doesn't say quit being a soldier, it's an immoral profession, all right? But what he does say is don't use your, don't use your role as a soldier, as a centurion and so forth, to, uh, to intimidate people, to threaten people, to extort money from people. Uh, soldiers could, could get rich, you know, shaking down the, the uh, population and so forth. Uh, same thing with the tax collectors. They weren't to be skimming profits. Uh, they weren't to be uh, stealing. And, and they could conduct their business in an honorable fashion. None of those instances were those people told, you're in a godless line of work. You need to get out of that. All right? And I believe uh, in terms of our application in, in, the, in the modern world, as far as what we do in your workplace, if you acknowledge him in all your ways, acknowledge him. And you, uh, in the integrity of your heart, you say, look, I'm a, I'm a truck driver, I'm a police officer, I'm an I'm a EMT or whatever. I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm an Indian chief, whatever. Even a lawyer, okay? Whatever you're doing, do to the glory of God. And say, Lord, I believe this is, uh, this, is, this is your will for my life. I believe I'm in this line of work. I believe this is your provision. And so forth. That's, that's what we talk about with, in all your ways, acknowledge him. So you have an acknowledgement of God in the workplace. An acknowledgement of God in a, in a broad, umbrella type of ways. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about getting in your car and saying, all right, Lord, do I take Mopac or do I take 183? You know, I'm not surrendering my commute decision day by day by day, right? All right, Lord, do I get in the left lane? Do I get in the middle lane? Okay, if, if you're taking it to that extent for in all your ways, acknowledge him, you're probably going to cause a wreck, <laughs> okay? Although, I don't know, maybe some more prayer on 183 might be helpful, but um, this is what we're talking about, okay? Same thing with pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing, okay? Are you praying right now? Or are you listening to me teach Bible class? Am I praying right now or am I teaching Bible class? I'm teaching Bible class. That's right. And, and, and some people would try to say, well, you kind of want to try to do both or whatever. You want to have a, a prayer attitude, a prayer mindset. And no, there's times that I pray and there's times that I'm not praying. All right. I, I start a prayer with dear Heavenly Father and I end a prayer with in Jesus' name, amen. And in between, the next time I start another prayer, I'm not praying. All right. But I am still praying without ceasing because I have a constant, inveterate, habitual, consistent prayer life. All right? So, anyway, a lot of this stuff is interesting. And then, 
it, it comes down to, I think, the relaxed mental attitude of the Christian way of life as you're being led. We have the examples of Christ. Uh, we have the examples uh, in the Scripture that we imitate. And, uh, and, and we don't try to get weird about it. And if, if, if you start to get weird about it, then um, let the Scripture get you unweird about it, okay? Try to find a, a brother or sister that's not weird about it and say, uh, could you help me out here and, and uh, you know, pray with me and show me what I'm, why I'm getting weird about it and that kind of thing. All right. So, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. He will make your path straight. The summary of our walk is straight. I love that. He will make our paths straight. Okay? Straight. It's not problem-free. It's not happy. Um, you know, some people think that we're here to be happy or that God's here to make us happy, that the, the highest end of man is happiness. The Bible never tells us that. In fact, the Bible tells us just the opposite. We may have happiness in this life, but that's not the point. The point is the happiness that we're going to have for all eternity. And a divine viewpoint happiness we should start to foster in this life. Even if we have temporal sadness, there is a time to weep. There is a time to rejoice. There, are, there is human happiness, human sadness, and, and all the rest. But human happiness is not why we're here. And, um, you know, the idea that... Uh, Serve the Lord and you'll, have, you'll never have any money problems ever again. You will just be filthy rich and never, never want for anything. Well, you know what? I'm not filthy rich, but I've never wanted for anything because God has been faithful. He has provided. And uh, we should have that kind of perspective. With food and covering, with these we shall be content. And He provides. And anything beyond that is just a, a boost. It's a bonus. And thank you, Lord, for the grace provision. The uh, verb is yasher, the... Uh, Adjective is yashar. We took a look at a lot of those verses last week. I'm not going to go back into those. But the idea of straight, the idea of upright, the idea of smooth, that is, we are on the course he has for us. That's where we are, the straight and narrow, the straight and upright path. We're not venturing to the left. We're not venturing to the right. Uh, carnality wants to look over there, all right? You know, it's like you're, when you walk your dog and, and he's always checking out this and checking out that and looking over here and smelling something over there and and, you know, man, I think that's why God put dogs on this earth to illustrate what happens when you're not walking straight. <laughs> you walk into the left and the right. All right. I don't even walk a dog, but I've seen it in movies. All right, let's look at the second half of these now. We've got nine of these all together. Here's the fifth one. Point E, self-wisdom. Man, we gotta, we got to reject self-wisdom. Self-wisdom is the worst kind of wisdom. It's the worst kind of wisdom, and it's not the wisdom from above either. It's the wisdom from below. It's the wisdom from below. Self-wisdom is the worst kind of wisdom from below. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil here in verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. The worst part about self-wisdom is it traps you, it enslaves you, and you're left, uh, you're left uh, in, a, in a box of your own creation, and you can't listen to anybody else because you've already got all the answers, and uh, you don't have any problems because you got it all figured out, and the worst, the worst thing about it is, is uh, there's, there's brothers and sisters trying to come alongside and giving you God's kind of wisdom, 
And uh, it's not compatible. They do not mesh. The wisdom from below is, is the antithesis of the wisdom from above, and they do not mesh. God's wisdom and the world's wisdom, wisdom are at, at odds with one another, and, and they each view the other as foolishness. So, um, we've got Proverbs 3, as we've been looking at. Uh, again, verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes, or stop being wise in your own eyes if it's already a problem. Uh, Isaiah 5.21. Isaiah 5.21 speaks to this. This is a part of all the woes that are being pronounced here. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. That's why we say you can't have a blend. You can't have a mix of a little bit of trust and a little bit of clever. We're supposed to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If you're only partly trusting and then filling up the gaps with clever, um, that's, that's, not a, that's not a give and take kind of situation you want, all right? It's not, it's not how the, the, the Christian way of life works. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of God's wisdom, a little bit of me figuring it out. No. It's all God's wisdom, and it's us, nothing. We're not figuring out nothing. We're just trusting in Him. We're, we're walking by faith, uh, trusting in what, he, what He's providing. There's actually a lot of woes here in Isaiah 5. Going back to verse 18. Woe to those who drag iniquity with the cords of falsehood, and sin is with cart ropes. You know, before you know it, just a little bit of sin turns into more sin, turns into more sin, turns into so much sin, you've got to haul it around with, uh, with an ox wagon. And uh, if you've got so much sin you're toting around that you need ropes to drag it, that's, uh, that's not good. Um, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And this is what we do. We substitute our viewpoint for God's viewpoint. God gives a design and man comes along and says, well, I've got an alternative lifestyle. All right. I've got something that's alternative to what God designed. Wait a minute. You're, you're substituting good for evil and evil for good. You're substituting bitter for sweet, light for darkness. And uh, God pronounces a woe upon you for that. Then uh, the one we saw in verse 21, those who are wise in their own eyes, clever in their own sight. Uh, another one comes along in verse 22. Here's another woe. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. Yeah, and we probably known, we're not going to stand up or give any testimonies here this morning, but we, uh, we've seen movies or we've read about these kind of folks in books. And yeah, as soon as I get one or two into them, and boy, look out. They're the, they're the latest... Uh, <laughs> they could be like Brian Williams on the NBC Nightly News. They could start telling all kinds of stories about how they, you know, had all these different things taking place. All right. And then the final woe, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. You actually start perverting uh, society. All right, from uh, Isaiah 5.21, two more passages dealing with Self-wisdom, Romans 12, 16. Here's one in the New Testament. Romans 12, 16. So uh, we're not off the hook because uh, Proverbs is in the Old Testament. We say, oh, we're, we're New Testament believers. We're under grace. We're not under law. Well, wait a minute. Wisdom literature still applies. The wisdom of, of what pleases God and doesn't please God is still applicable in the church age. And uh, Romans 12, 16 explicitly 
adds it to the uh, imperative for the body of Christ. Be in the same mind toward one another. There's a humility application there. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So if you want to try to make your case that Proverbs 3.7 doesn't have a church age application, um, you can try to make that case, but I think you're on shaky ground because <laughs> uh, we have it restated here in, in uh, Romans 12. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Finally then, James 3. I go here a lot because it's uh, very fruitful and it's easy to find. James chapter 3. And we realize when it says, do not be wise in your own estimation, do not be wise in your own eyes, that this self-wisdom, self-wisdom falls under that wisdom from below category. It's certainly not wisdom from above. God's not promoting that. So if God's not promoting it, who's promoting it? Where's it coming from? If it's not the Holy Spirit sparking that, what spirit is sparking that? Obviously. And so um, in James 3, remember the book of James is the church age book of Proverbs, right? James is wisdom literature for the New Testament, just as Proverbs is wisdom literature in the Old Testament. So in uh, James 3.13, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. There's a form of wisdom, and sadly, that form of wisdom um, is described here with the bitter jealousy and the selfish ambition. Much of uh, Christianity today, what I call churchianity today, is described by this 14th verse. It's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. It's uh, Christians that are building empires for themselves, making a name for themselves, and, and creating these, uh, these, these uh, uh, monuments, as it were. It's about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And that's not God's wisdom on display. If God's wisdom was on display, it would be shown in the gentleness, the good behavior of his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. And so James goes to describe, well, where does this come from? Verse 15. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above. So it is a wisdom. First of all, notice that. This wisdom. You see that in verse 15? It is a wisdom. It is a kind of wisdom. It is, you know, don't don't say, well, that's not wisdom. It is a wisdom. But it's a different kind of wisdom. It's this wisdom. It's not like that wisdom which comes down from above. And so we have this and that in verse 15. This wisdom and that wisdom in verse 15. And so there's this wisdom and that wisdom. We want that wisdom. We want that wisdom which comes down from above. But this wisdom is not like that wisdom which comes down from above. But this wisdom is earthly, natural, demonic. Earthly, natural, demonic. And now you understand why self-wisdom falls into those categories. Because ourselves, in ourselves, in our fallen nature, in ourselves, is is exactly that. Earthly, natural, maybe not demonic, but certainly earthly and natural. And sadly, it becomes demonic the more we we spend time in it. Earthly, natural, demonic. Remember, the old man is earthly. 
It's the new man that's spiritual. The old man is natural. It's the new man that's eternal. Okay? The old man is subject to demonic influences. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. Even as an unbeliever, vulnerable to demon possession. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder in every evil thing. And it even just kind of becomes a sphere, it becomes a realm, it becomes a, a tangible entity in a, in a church, in a marriage, in a family, in a workplace. Jealousy and selfish ambition, and it exists, it comes into existence, and it just remains and festers. Disorder in every evil thing. That's not from God. Is that the fruit of the Spirit? Is that from the God of order? No. But the wisdom from above, now we have that, that which is from above. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable. If some of this, by the way, sounds like the fruit of the Spirit, okay, that's not a coincidence, (laughs) right? Because God the Holy Spirit is what's going to produce this when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're in fellowship. So a pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's what we want to be walking in. That's the wisdom we want. We, want, we don't want to lean on our own understanding. We want in all our ways to acknowledge Him. We do not want to trust in our own understanding. We don't want to be wise in our own eyes. What we want to do is simply embrace His wisdom. He's the one that's, that has the wisdom. All right. That's verse 7a. Then verse 7b says, Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Fearing and turning. Two steps. Fearing and turning. I think some folks fear but don't turn. That's right. They fear on a limited basis. They fear somewhat. They need to fear more. All right? They need to fear to the point that they turn away. Fear the Lord and turning away from evil means each believer ought to become an imitator of Job. Job's the great uh, character example of this. Remember I said Jacob was the great character example of leaning on your own understanding, being the wheeler and dealer and trickster. Job is the great example of this, of fearing God and turning away from evil. Of fearing God and turning away from evil. Fearing and turning means each believer ought to become an imitator of Job. This is subpoint F if you're keeping the outline. Proverbs 3, 7b, and we compare it to uh, Job 1, 1 and 8, Job 2, 1, and Job 28, 28. Fearing and turning. Fearing and turning. We've talked about the fear of the Lord before. It is the beginning of wisdom. We'll have other verses that talk about the fear of the Lord that comes up throughout the book of Proverbs. We've uh, looked at the vocabulary already as it relates to reverence, as it relates to the, the healthy fear that we should have. Um, the Hebrew uses the same word, by the way, for the right kind of fear towards God and then the wrong kind of fear if you're scared or you have fear of man. Um, we don't have a, a vocabulary rescue at that point where there's, it's not like the Hebrew has one word for the good kind of fear and a different word for the bad kind of fear. Uh, it's the same word. And same thing in Greek. You have phobos and, and phobeo and, and, and those. Uh, so it's the context and it's the, the object and it's the mentality for the fear. Why do you fear man? 
Why do you fear God? And uh, what is it that you are afraid? When you fear the Lord, you're not afraid of what man can do unto you. Things of that nature. But the idea of fear is that healthy reverence, that healthy, uh, something that you're afraid of, so you, you step back, okay? Now, you're not terrified, so you're not running from God like you'd be running from a lion, but, but you do step back because you have that reverence that even though He saved you and even though He loves you and even though you call Him Abba Father and even though He holds you in His arms, still, still, we identify that He is the Creator and we are the creature. And we have a reverence before Him, even when He's hugging us, <laughs> even when He's unfolding us in His arms and we call out Abba Father, even still we have that fear before Him that knows He is our God and we are His, cre- we are His creation. The creator-creature distinctions. All right, Job 1.1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. These terms, blameless and upright, that's the Yashar terminology, right? We were looking at that last week. It's on the slide, point D. Okay, that's the yashar terminology, blameless and upright. This is the benefit of being in the Word of God. This is what Proverbs will do to you. Proverbs will put, uh, place you in this blameless and upright life. Fearing God and turning away from evil. He has the, the, the spiritual walk that's reverent before God, and it affects how he lives his personal life. Why is it that people want to have, you know, they're almost schizophrenic, two-faced, hypocrites right they got their church personality and then they got how they really live monday through saturday and then then they get all religious again on sunday and they you know they they go to church and they make appearances and whatever but it's not really shaping how they live monday through saturday i would put forth there's no fear of, of the lord there that if there was a true fear of the lord that it would have an expression in the uh the practical outworking of that Fearing God and turning away from evil. And that's not legalism. That's just simply letting God do His work. That's just simply allowing Him to mold us and shape us into the image of His Son. Seven sons and three daughters were born to Him. His possessions also were a very rich man here. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very many servants. The man was the greatest of all the men of the East. And... Uh, We have his spiritual life described in verse 1, his family life described in verse 2, and then his career success, material uh, possessions in uh, in verse 3. That's not a bad order to put those in, (laughs) okay? If you're going to prioritize them and so forth. But remarkably enough, um, success didn't ruin him. The, 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 The most extraordinary thing about Job is that he stayed humble even in the prosperity testing. He passed in ways Solomon never could. You know, think, look how wealthy he was, how great he was, the greatest living believer on the planet, and, and the wealth uh, and, and uh, prosperity didn't, uh, didn't derail him at all. So his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, adult sons with their own residences and houses and so forth, kind of like if you have a married son, you think, hmm, yeah, maybe I'll be invited over someday. This is kind of new territory for us. We're, we're still real new in this whole child out of the home thing and married child thing. There's an adjustment period we're working through. 
And so they would take turns. That's kind of a nice thing to do amongst the siblings. And uh, from house to house, each one on his day. And that's kind of cool. If you've got seven sons, I guess each one gets a day of the week. Um, anyway, and then they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feasting had completed their cycle, Job would stand and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. See, now there's no, there's no priesthood. There's no Levitical priesthood, I should say. There's no law. This is all before Abraham, all before the Jewish people. Uh, but nevertheless, Job is operating under a patriarchal priesthood, and he is holding spiritual responsibility for his children and grandchildren and, and his entire household, even offering up uh, intercessory confession. As he says, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. See, he doesn't even know. Maybe they've committed a sin I'm not aware of, a mental attitude sin I'm not privy to, but he sacrifices on their behalf anyway. So thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And here's where the phrase gets repeated a second time now. Fearing God and turning away from evil. Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. That's the description. And of course, Job, or Satan knows all about him. Satan knows all about him. He doesn't say, you know, Job who? Who are you talking about? See, he knows exactly who he's talking about. See, have you not made a hedge about him, about his house, about all that he has on every side? How does Satan know that? He's been checking him out. He's trying to get through that hedge. He's been poking. He's been prodding. He's been trying to find a weakness. Left, right, front, back, over, under. This hedge surrounds Job everywhere. All right. Anyway, I don't want to teach the book of Job this morning, but there it is. Down to chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves. All right? And um, fearing God, turning away from evil. It's actually verse 3, not verse 1. It says verse 1 on the screen. It should be verse 3. No one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil, and he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. To ruin him without cause. And I like that. I like the fact God takes ownership of what happened to Job. God claims that he did it. He says, you incited me to do it. And, and, and God takes ownership of it. He's the one responsible for allowing it to happen. And he allowed it to happen for his own purposes, of course. Not Satan's purposes, but his own purposes. Back to chapter 28, Job twenty-eight, twenty-eight. There is no 2828. Wow. Oh, 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 yes, there is. Thank you. I went to Psalm 28. Psalm 28 only has uh, eight verses. Or nine verses. Okay, Job 28, 28. What kind of Bible are you reading it there anyway? Notice... uh, it's a, uh, there is so much doctrine in this chapter. And, um, you know, for, for a man that lived in the, in the uh, third millennia B.C., 
before Abraham, before um, written canon. Look at what he has. Look at the uh, look at the, uh, the the insight that he has here. Talks about a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold, iron taken from the dust and copper smelted from the rock. Their knowledge of of metallurgy, their knowledge of mining and industry. Man puts an end to darkness, and to the furthest limit he searches out the rock and gloom and deep shadow. You know, how do they do they carry torches down there, lanterns? How do they put an end to darkness? He sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and, and uh, uh, fro far from men. You ever do any spelunking? Okay, in my younger days, it was kind of fun to crawl around in the dirt and explore different caves and tunnels and whatnot. In fact, my, well, I'm getting off track. Let me continue. The earth from it comes food. Underneath it is turned up as fire. Its rocks are the source of sapphires. Its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows, nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. All right, the, the actual surface creatures, the animals, the birds, and so forth, they're not digging down there, not where man goes to find the treasures, to, to dig forth the wealth. The proud beasts have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains at the base. Man is the one that, that uh, creates fire and, and goes and digs up this stuff. He hews out channels through the rocks. His eye sees anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing, and what is hidden he brings out to the light. Look at the industry that they had in this time. Larkin believed that Job built the pyramids, and he may be right. We can't prove it till we get there, but um, interesting. But where can wisdom be found? This is what he comes to now. He says, you know, I imagine Job probably has dug the deepest mines in existence in his day, and yet you can keep digging and digging and digging. Are you going to find God's wisdom? Where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. All right? And humans trying to dig for wisdom would be like, you know, bears and lions trying to dig for, for gold or dig for sapphires. They can't get there. They don't do that. That's not their realm. Uh, so man does not know its value. It's not uh, found in the land of the living. The deep says it is not in me. The sea says it is not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. You can be the wealthiest man on earth, and, and this, here's something you cannot buy. Cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, its precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it. Nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, with our ears we have heard a report of it. Boy, they had, and these are titles for fallen angels, all right? Abaddon is called the destroyer, Apollyon in the Greek. But God understands its way and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man, he said, 
Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. So there are two sides of the same coin, fearing God and turning away from evil. Fearing God and turning away from evil, and that is wisdom and understanding. Two sides of the same coin. All right. Wow. Long context to get to one verse, but I thought it was worth it. Okay? Back to, uh, back to Proverbs. And you notice when you see the links that people go to for money, the links that they go to for, uh, for the almighty dollar, and uh, the links they won't go to, ah, that's too far to drive. <laughs> oh, it's late. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, it's raining. Oh, there's a line in the square. Or whatever it may be. It's just inconvenient. Yeah, it shows you where the priority is and what the valuation has been, uh, how the valuation has been made. All right. Uh, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Verse 8. Physical health is placed in proper perspective by spiritual health. Physical health is placed in proper perspective by spiritual health. Again, we're talking about the long-term benefits of a life spent in the Word of God. We're talking about a summary description of the Christian way of life. We are trusting the Lord. We are not leaning in our own understanding. We are acknowledging Him in all our ways. He is making our paths straight. We are fearing the Lord. And this walk, this walk, I think, is the it in verse 8. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Got to decide what the it is. Some take it all the way back to my teaching, my commandments, so forth. I think it's this entire walk of what we're looking at here in this paragraph. What it means to trust in the Lord with all your heart. What it means to acknowledge Him. Okay? Physical health is placed in proper perspective by spiritual health. Now, here's the danger. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So if I have a if I have a, if I'm sick or I have a disease or I have a, a health condition, is God a liar? Is this verse untrue? This is what we've got to be cautious with. This is where we want to we want to view this as an overall umbrella. We don't want to we don't want to carry this to an absurd level. It's like uh, you know like we illustrated with trusting the Lord with all your heart, like we illustrated with acknowledging Him. Uh, and, and, and not uh, asking him which lane to be driving in or which tooth bra- uh, toothpaste to use. Okay, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So if you've got if you've got a broken arm, I recommend you go to a doctor. I don't recommend you pull out Proverbs and start reading Proverbs chapter three, and then waiting for Proverbs chapter three to heal your bones. But I do believe, though, that when you are oriented to divine viewpoint realities, when you are oriented to spiritual health, physical health may not be um, uh, the greatest. It might not even be very good. But to whatever extent he does provide it, you have the contentment and satisfaction of, uh, of, of this perspective. All right? 
And, and perhaps it's, it's a good thing that health and wealth are just one letter apart. If you, if you think of them as a spectrum, you think of them as a continuum, from the, the, the richest guy that walking the planet to the poorest pauper walking the planet, and you're probably somewhere in between, all right? You think of health also as a spectrum. The, the, the healthiest guy that's, that's, you know, never had a sick day in 20 years versus the hypochondriac over here that hadn't had a healthy day in, since the 1980s, all right? And you're probably somewhere in between that spectrum. Why does he place us in the conditions he places us in? I'm going to look at these verses here in a moment, but why... Wherever we are, and he's put us in, in, this, in this income bracket, or he's put us in this health bracket, or, you know, where has he placed us on that spectrum? On the financial spectrum, on the health spectrum? All right? <laughs> Why do I have migraines? Why do I have a kidney disease? Why do I have um, rosacea? Why do I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm scraping to describe things because I'm, I'm really not suffering for Jesus or anything, okay? Um, but why did my mom have cancer? Why did my dad have cancer? Why, you know, why, 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 why? Who cares? Okay? Because. <laughs> Just do away with it. Because he chose to assign that to you for his good pleasure, to glorify his son. There is an assignment that goes with that. And here's the thing. Whether you have a lot of money or a little money, have you learned the secret? Have you learned the secret of an abundance, the secret of suffering need? Does, does, does where you are on the money spectrum hinder what you do in the Christian way of life? Does it keep you from using your gift or pursuing your ministry or achieving the effects that he has for you? Does it keep you from being a pastor, being an evangelist, being an encourager, being a, uh, a, a whatever? Say, well, I'm going to serve the Lord, but I've got I to do this first. Oh, okay. So you've drawn a line in the sand and said, give me that kind of money and I'll, I'll serve you. Same thing with health. Same thing with health. All right? You're going to be somewhere on a spectrum. And does it reach a point where you just, well, I'm going to quit serving God now because I'm just not feeling very good. Or is this simply, what I'm pointing out is all of these uh, venues are testing circumstances. They're testing circumstances. And maybe you passed the test earlier at this point on the health spectrum. Now you get the do-over. Take this test again now that you're at this point of the health spectrum. Or now that you're on this point of the health spectrum. Or you're on this point of the financial spectrum. All right? You were serving the Lord when things were great. Are you going to serve the Lord now? That's why we're to be ready in season and out of season. All right. And, and, and I'm bouncing back and forth between money and, and health, but they both illustrate the same concept. And, and we got back-to-back verses here that do the same thing. There's healing to your body in verse 8, and there's wealth in verse 9. All right? So the point is, is made both, both ways. That uh, a, a, a health deficiency is no reason not to serve. Within the capacity of what you can do, He expects you to do. Likewise, a financial capacity is no excuse not to serve. Within the capacity of what He has provided, He expects you to serve. We'll talk about the money component next. But for now, we're dealing with the health perspective. Let's look at Proverbs 4.22. Proverbs 4.22. 
Verse 20 says, My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Life and health. Life and health. If your soul is healthy, is your body going to have, have an effect from that? If your soul is a darkened, ugly train wreck, does that damage your body? That very much damages your body. The physical health consequences of a darkened soul, of a poisoned soul, bitterness in the soul. And uh, this is a biblical principle. Now, I know the, the Freudians ad- adapt it and they talk about psychosomatic illnesses and they have all these other expressions for mind, body, and all these other things. And, and what, they, what they've found in their Freudian wisdom is a, is a, is a sad reflection of what the Bible has been saying for thousands and thousands of years. When your soul prospers, there is a physical body benefit. And when your soul suffers, there is a physical body detriment. And so there it is. They are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Proverbs 16.24 Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Yep, look out for that. But sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Now, like I say, we know the metaphor for what it is. We understand the spiritual reality for what it is. I'm not saying here that if you, if you break your arm tomorrow that you should just read Proverbs 16.24 and then watch your bone miraculously heal. I'm not saying that. Proverbs isn't saying that. We understand the principles for what they are. Not just the Old Testament. New Testament as well. 2 Corinthians 4.16. 2 Corinthians 4.16. If you think about it in this way. The whole chapter really deals with... uh, well, most of the chapter. Verse 7, we uh, have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's actually a good thing that we, we live this life in these frail things. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power we have God and not from ourselves. We don't get too full of ourselves because of the, the frailties of, of the flesh, the weaknesses of humanity. And so we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing. Isn't that great? You get down to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. And this is why physical health is placed in proper perspective by spiritual health. And maybe I don't have, I'm not in the best of, of shape physically. Maybe I've got a cancer. I've got a, a long-term thing. I've got a uh, whatever. Like my dad, you know, rheumatoid arthritis at the age of 37. Goodness. And so 32 years later, what, what effect does that have on a body? Well, what if, but does it affect the inner man? See, there's a thing. The inner man is or can be renewed day by day if we're walking as we're supposed to be walking according to this chapter. So don't lose heart. I like the, the Fanny Crosby readings that Matt's been giving us on Sunday nights and little snippets from her biography, okay? Blinded the way she was as a young girl and, and that. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. 
So don't be mad at God for the sickness you're going through. Thank Him for the sickness you're going through. Because that weakness is productive. You're learning things in that. Other people are learning things in that. You're glorifying Christ in that. Finally, 3 John, verse 2. 3 John and verse 2. Aim for... I was going to say aim for Revelation and back up a book. Aim for Revelation and back up two books. Skip over Jude and get to 3 John. <clears throat> you know, I think it's uh, this verse would destroy a lot of prayer meetings. Uh, quite often prayer meetings are just a laundry list of, of health stuff. You know, Father, this person's sick, that person's sick, that person's sick. Or money stuff. That guy needs a job, that guy needs a job, that lady needs a job. And you end up with laundry lists of, of health testing and, and financial testing. But this verse says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. So if you want to tag your bank account and your uh, medical records to uh, your soul condition, what would it look like? <laughs> what would it look like? Well, what condition is your soul? And, uh, and what do we put first as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that all these things can be added unto us? Spiritual life should always precede physical life, secular life, temporal life. So physical health is placed in proper perspective by physical health. All right, two more, and I thought we were going to get through, but we have um, earthly wealth under H, and then we have paternal discipline under I. But we'll get to those next week. Lord willing, rapture pending. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you for uh, just the strength to get through another Bible class, Father. And thank you for uh, brothers and sisters that have made this uh, class a priority. Uh, work in us, Father, to not only know these things, but to, uh, to be persuaded by them, to be transformed through them, to let this truth richly dwell within us, Father, and spring forth to bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. <clears throat> thank you for your grace, Father. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.